musical linguistic objects. Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And I'm happy to announce that our websites are somewhat back up and running. However, the transition from a shared hosting environment to our own dedicated server still has a uh, week or more of work ahead of me before it's completed. But things are uh, actually progressing nicely, and thanks in no small measure to some of our fellow saloners who have either bought a copy of one of my books or who made direct donations to the salon. Your, uh, your help and support are greatly appreciated, and uh, hopefully you've already received my personal thank you message, uh, unless that is you're one of the three people who bought one of my Kindle books from Amazon, because they, uh, well, they don't send me any information about who you are. But uh, that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate your support, because uh, I most certainly do. Now, today I've got something for you that uh, you haven't heard before. It's a recording of a conversation between two of my very close friends. Uh, Originally, the plan was for me to join them to record this session, but due to uh, some unforeseen circumstances, I wasn't able to make it that day. And uh, actually, uh, without me butting in and adding my own two cents, I think that this conversation actually turned out better than if I'd been there. What you're going to hear was originally conceived of as an attempt to tell more of the story of the now legendary and theobotany seminars that were held in Mexico, uh, primarily in Palenque. Uh, And they were held over the course of a decade or so. And the two people who you are about to hear from, uh, hear reminiscing about them, are Matt Palomari and our mutual friend Wild Bill. Uh, And after we listen to this conversation, I'll be back with a few of my own observations about the Palenque experience. But first, I think we should hear what Mateo and Bill have to say so that uh, I don't tell some of the same stories. However, uh, before I turn on the recording that Mateo made of their conversation, I'd first like to read part of the message on a little postcard that Terrence McKenna handed to me the very first time we met. It read... Shamanic Plant Seminars and Theobotanical Seminars in Palenque. You are invited to join the entheobotanists Giorgio Samarini, Paul Stamets, Manuel Torres, Terence McKenna, Rob Montgomery, Ken Symington, Sasha Shulgin, Ann Shulgin, Christian Rosh, Michael Bach, and Jonathan Ott. Return with us to those lush and mysterious environs of Palenque for one of our pair of seven-day intensive seminars covering identification, cultivation, history, ethnobotany, chemistry, preparation, as well as the use of visionary shamanic plants, including psilocybin mushrooms, ayahuasca, shamanic snuffs, salvia divinorum, San Pedro cacti, and numerous others. Relax in verdant tropical splendor with a dozen leading experts in entheobotany who will detail their latest research for beginning and adept affectionados alike. (laughs) Well, uh, with a pitch like that, how could I resist? And uh, so I went to Palenque, where uh, on my second afternoon there, I walked down to the pool right after the morning lecture in a classroom at the top of the hill above the Chanca Ruinous Cabins where we all stayed. And I sat down next to a kind of a gruff-talking guy who 
at the time had dyed his short hair blonde and who was reputed to be some kind of a law enforcement officer. Naturally, uh, I was quite intimidated, not knowing if uh, he was a narc who was maybe there just to take our names and turn us in once we returned to the States. But the first thing that he did was to turn to me, uh, pass a small pipe my way, and say, Here, you want some hash? (laughs) And uh, that, of course, was the beginning of what has now blossomed into a beautiful friendship. So uh, let's travel back in time to those marvelous days in Palenque with two old psychonauts who, between them, now have over 80 years of psychedelic experience. And as you'll hear, uh, they weren't able to stay on the topic of Palenque seminars for long, but uh, I think that the rest of their stories uh, you'll also find both enlightening and entertaining. Hello there, welcome once again to the Psychedelic Salon. This is Mateo here, and I'm sitting in a wonderful natural setting with my very good friend known as Wild Bill. I uh, I like to call him Uncle Billy because I remember he told me a story about something with his nephew and he said to his nephew something to the effect of, well, you know, your Uncle Billy's kind of got a little few screws loose. And <laughs> my, niece uh, was my niece Your niece. So that uh, endeared me to him. <laughs> so what we're doing is we're... Uh, I met Bill down in the Palenque Entheobotany Seminars, and actually, uh, we were talking, I actually met him in Ushmal in 98, and we've known each other ever since, and uh, we've done some adventures together, we've been to the jungle together, we've been to the Andes together, Uh, we've been kind of all over the map together and done some, uh, had some really awesome adventures, friggin' hang gliding over the sacred valley and (laughs) parasailing, all that. So... We're going to be talking about the uh, old days of the Palenque seminars, and uh, Bill is an interesting character. He uh, was a parole officer, and he's been a diehard student of uh, visionary experience, and uh, hung around a lot with Alex Gray and stuff like that. So, so uh, welcome to the salon, Bill. It's really good to have you here. Hey, Mateo. Um, how how did you come about? getting to the uh, seminars, the entheobotany seminars in the first place. What, what brought you there? Interesting story. I was, I had gone to school in San Antonio, and uh, my wife at the time was uh, on uh, the executive board of uh, IA, and they had a convention in San Antonio. So I went down. This was in the early 90s, and uh, I walked into a magazine shop, and there is this magazine with a candy-colored mushroom line called Psychedelic Illuminations. And I said, oh, Jesus, they're still doing it. So I immediately, San Antonio, of all places to find this thing, never saw it in New York. So I picked it up, took it back to, and I'm reading through it, and I'm just going bonkers, you know. And there's all the stuff about this guy, Terrence McKenna. So I get back to New York, and I happen to be down in the open center, and there on the shelf they have they had his book The Archaic Revival I picked that up I read it just blew my mind completely away and then I saw they had a workshop with him two day workshop so I went to that and it was just I sat right in front it was absolutely fabulous about 20 of us in a room with him so we got to spend two days talking to him and uh, he was telling us about this big conference Ethel Botany conference going to be out in San Francisco I forgot what year was it. Was that 96? Did you go to that? Yeah. I, I was there. 
Yeah. I was oh, there. I think everybody. That's the first was time there. I ever went. Yeah. Yeah, right on. Okay. I walked I walked in. It was kind of a shock. You know, I walked in with my, my cowboy boots and my jean jacket with the big dragon on the back and my New York attitude and stuff. And I didn't get to know. I, I really didn't get to meet any people there. But I got to see, you know, all the. And there was uh, Carrie Mullis was speaking. Right. And I remember that he brought that band out. Yeah. Uh, yeah Jonathan yeah. Ott. Right. All these great guys. Wade Davis was there. Yeah, Wade Davis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that that, that really was uh, that was impressive. Yes. And uh, while I was there, there was this handout about these Palenque seminars. And I looked at that. And I said, this looks interesting as hell. And I really thought it was field trips going collecting plants and stuff. So when I got back to, when I got back to uh, the city, I talked to my, uh, my wife, who uh, is not into this at all. Not into it. She's straight arrow. Uh, I said, I'd really like to do this. So I, in, uh, in 90, yeah, 97... I traveled down to uh, through Via Mosa to Palenque and showed up at this place, the Chanca Ruinas. I met uh, two other guys, one guy from New York and a guy from Georgia along the way, so we traveled down there. And uh, it was incredible. It was incredible. It was like I met all these unbelievably... Uh, most of the people I met were really bright. A lot of them were into interesting jobs. They loved the work they were doing. They were really open. And it was such a laid-back, such a laid-back, I call it a laid-back manner. It was really cool. I got to meet all these different people. Um, unfortunately for us, we were we had signed up late, so they stuck us up on, uh, if anybody's been to Palenque, where they have that uh, conference hall across the street that's up oh, on yeah, the hill. Oh, yeah, on the hill, right. Yeah, we were, we were, we were stashed there up on the hill. And uh, so yeah. we were kind of separate from a lot of what was going on down below. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, it, it was just, <clears throat> it was just uh, absolutely incredible. What really turned me on was there were all these, these teachers, all these scholars and stuff who were so willing to talk about what they knew and share the information. And the people were just so, just so welcoming. I, in fact, I went to Terrence. I said, you know, Terrence, it's like... I showed up at this family reunion. I met these cousins I, I had heard about, but never, you know, had never met. And Terrence just turned to me and says, "Well, that's why we call it our gang." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it was it was just uh, it was just phenomenal. The setting was incredible. It's it's, it's interesting. I I, uh, I didn't realize you were at the. Uh seminars in, in San Francisco there because uh, yeah. 96 that was my first contact with people it took me till 98 to go to Ushmao where, oh, wow. where we initially yeah. met and it was you know uh, so I noticed that one time I saw uh, uh, I saw you had that the t-shirt the G I call it the G-string t-shirt with the, the deer yeah. on it which I have in a t-shirt I almost picked that up and when I saw you had because I went back to get it and was gone yeah. you son of a bitch you're the one who bought it <laughs> No, I, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you think of that. But I actually got that one on Real de Catorce when I did the, the uh, oh, yeah? I did the peyote ritual. Oh, I thought so. I did, I did the whole, I went to... Uh, All right. Well, you're absolved uh, then, man. Thank you. God, I haven't geez. had... All these years, resentment. that's why you've been freaking giving I, me all no, that shit. I haven't shit. had any yeah, resentment yeah, yeah, yeah. about that. <laughs> but it was, it was, I, I was just completely blown away uh, at just how relaxed and cool it was and, and, and all the stuff that went on outside the classrooms and... Just bonded with a whole bunch of people that you know, complete strangers, and there were people from all over the world, and and of course there was Terrence, yep, who was kind of like the, um, Pied Piper, 
Yeah. Well, you know, I always I always saw Terrence as a kind of a John the Baptist figure. Yeah. Walk calling people out of the desert, calling. And I said, you know, Terrence McKenna called me in from the cold. Yep. And I think he did that for a lot of people who had, who had kind of drifted away from it. Yep. He got uh, people back in. Me too. And uh, it was just fun. And you could sit. With, I remember we were sitting at the sitting at the breakfast table one morning, and I mentioned about some poetry by Yeats I really loved. And then uh, he says, uh, he says, you want to hear a good poem about vegetable love? And he recited from memory the poem To a Coy Mistress. Right. At, I realize this guy was a walking Norton anthology of English literature. Yeah. He probably had all this stuff uh, memorized. Uh, he was a fascinating character because he was a true uh, Renaissance man. Yeah. He had his fingers and good knowledge of uh, such a range of topics from mathematics to poetry to to ethnobotany and uh, I mean all sorts of stuff. He was just a phenomenal font of information, and uh, all the teachers there were just really uh, up on their stuff. And it was, uh, and that's where I, I met Sasha Shulgin for yeah. the first time, right. and uh, and Anne. And I just immediately said, "Boy, these are the parents I never had." Yeah, and they were. They were. They were really good. She was really straight from the heart, and he was just entertaining. And for the first time in my life, I began. Get a grasp of what organic chemistry was about through his right. dirty pictures, right? Yeah, yeah, it was good. And the surrounding, the the, the setting down there in the Chankar Ruinas is just absolutely Magical. incredible. Yeah, it was it was magic. Yeah, you know, I said you could you could spend it you could spend a week down there in that crowd and not turn it on, and you would still get the, just a beautiful buzz just from the 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 people and uh, and yeah, the right. location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the ruins are, were just out of sight. Oh yeah. I, I still have boxes. I haven't edited the pictures from '97. I have pictures right? from '97 and '99. Yeah, even up in ultralight, I got some pictures of the ruins from above coming down through the clouds. Yeah, I, I finally bought another slide thing so I can edit, and hopefully by the end of the year, I'll actually have all these pictures from uh, from Palenque. Yeah. And Ushmal as yeah. well. Not all the people, just the ruins and the, the jungle and stuff. It was uh, it was incredible. Yeah, Food of the Gods, Terence's Food of the Gods is what got me back. I took a 13-year yeah. hiatus from everything. Yeah. And then when I read Food of the Gods, I was hooked. Yeah. And I thought that there could be spirituality yeah. associated with psychedelics was a yeah. novel idea to me. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what's funny? Um, <clears throat> I hadn't really done any... I only did one trip. I did most of my heavy trip in, in 1970 and 71 when I was stationed in Berlin in the United States Army. Yeah. You know, I was the Berlin Brigade command editor and stuff. And uh, that's why I did a lot of... When I wasn't going to graduate school at night, I was dropping acid. Big doses. Big education. Oh, big doses. Yeah, I remember night we did like 750 mics by accident. We thought something wasn't working and didn't come on, so we took some more. And <laughs> holy shit. I was really rocking and rolling. Uh, that's also where I, I, I... You know, instead of just becoming... A, just a jerk. I, in the Army Library of all places, I found a copy of the uh, the Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley, right, and the Joyous Cosmology by Alan Watts. And so, right from the start, I just put you a perspective on all that. You know, before I wasn't what the meeting God, seeing God, the divining my true self. I just wanted to rock and roll. Right, you and you me know? both, bro. I couldn't afford to go hiking in the Tibetan Himalayas. Got discovery, but you know, for about five bucks, I could go to outer space. Right. Or in a space as it is. So I did it for thrills and kicks. And and then I luckily I, I learned that there's a there's a lot more going on behind this. And those two dudes, 
Huxley and Watts really put everything in perspective for me. No, I, I still liked it. The thrills and shit, of course. Yeah, of course. But uh, it gave me an idea what was on. There's actually work being done, and you're actually yeah. doing self-improvement, having fun doing it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not always fun. Oh, I'm telling you. I, I really uh, confronted a lot of things. I, I remember the one night when we had a, when I lived to a face, we had a, boy, we're getting away from Palenque, aren't we? That's okay. We're talking about you, too. We were in, in this apartment we had off base. We had, like, huge speakers in each corner. I mean, the room was only, like, 10 by 10, you know. We had huge speakers and stuff. And I remember doing a massive dose of acid. And I'm listening to, to Aqualung by Jethro Tull. And oh, yeah. he gets into that that thing that, uh, on the other side, he, he gets into the uh, side. Some people call it anti-clerical attitude. But he was really put religion in its place. Yeah. And that was the night I really was able to scrub clean some of my... Polish Catholic roots. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was something else. It was a, it's a life changer. And so when I came back to the states, I, I kind of I continued to smoke grass, but I got away from the psychedelics because I, I began working. Yeah, I was working in a drug prevention program. Oh yeah, I did get busted. <clears throat> That's true. Yeah, I, I did get busted <laughs> in Ohio right. hitchhiking, and I did I got arrested for uh, attempting to introduce uh, illusions and yeah. hallucinations into Tuscarawas County, Ohio. And I was facing a uh, felony, and uh, I talked to uh, the prosecutor, and we had talked, and he knew what my shtick was. I was just hitchhiking. I was hitchhiking from Austin, and, uh, and we worked it out where I wound up doing uh, 30 days in jail. Yeah. During the 4th of July, too. It was wow. interesting. Uh, and uh, that 30 days in jail was, uh, was a real education. I learned how to play gin rummy. Yeah, it was unbeatable for three days, but it, that added to my. It, it's I had that certain sensibility about. It. So later on, when I was working with people who were, well, I worked in prison for six years and stuff. It was almost unnatural. I was almost you know comfortable walking around the joint. <laughs> but even though I wasn't doing LSD or any of the psychedelics at that point, you know, once you've been through it, once you've been through the grinder. And I don't mean this 50-mic stuff, you know, half-stepping. Once you've been through the real deep trip where you, you lose that... I remember that, that one night when I finally went over the edge and I was reduced to, as I told Ann Shulgin, I was like this tiny speck of consciousness rushing through the universe. And the thing that surprised me most is I had absolutely no fear. Yeah. It was absolutely beautiful. Once you've done that, it, it, it just changes everything. And I, I still had that, well, working in the prison system and then working in parole on the street and stuff like that. There was no way I could not look at the big picture. There's mm-hmm. no way that I could not look at um, the relationships between things. Because once you're on a deep acid trip, you know, everything's in this big net and all meshes and stuff. And everything is interconnected. And actually, to me, it... it gave me a clearer picture of what was going on. Unfortunately, in that milieu, that kind of vision and stuff is really not appreciated. It probably led me into a lot of problems and stuff like that. But to me, it gave me a great sense of satisfaction because I, th- I figured I had things really nailed down. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I, I, I've said in other conversations, that, that I think that the, the LSD and that little time in jail, I didn't have problems with the parolees, you know? I had no problem. I was able to relate, talk to them, and, you know? I had a problem with the authority figures yeah. and stuff because they were really uptight, you know, juice culture. Yeah, juice right. culture. It was tough. So uh, 
Now when I discovered, you know, psychedelic illuminations, you know, I went back to it, took another step. And I'll tell you, I, I think probably that's when, that's when I really started to have difficulties on my job. Yeah, because you saw yeah. the you saw the you saw the the, the bullshit and yeah, the, and the all the lies and into it. the false. Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying, you guys, you guys really don't want to do anything. You could be grinding out tortillas here at the factory <laughs> instead of people. Right. But I mean, Palenque was just uh, it, it, it just it just pushed me in the direction. Once I went to Palenque, I said, "No, I, I got to stay with this. This is the greatest assortment of of, of bright." I mean, there were some plenty of assholes and there were fools and stuff like that. But I'd never seen that many really bright, intelligent, warm, human, easy to relate to people. Um, and at first, I got to taste some really great hash oil. Oh, yeah, it was good stuff there. I remember, there, it was, I remember this, there was this, this um, brother from Indiana who uh, used to get all the. Uh, get all the weed from the growers he would get all their shake and what he would do is he'd say well you give it to me and we'll go 50 50 when i make the oil and he we were sitting there about 10 of us sitting on this ramp looking down to the valley up in that up in that high spot yeah right on top again. I remember that, yeah. looking down the valley it's evening and uh, he takes out this little leather case and there are seven vials of hash oil <laughs> from dark to light oh wow and he got a little pipe out, and we started working it. Passing <laughs> he says, all right, you guys ready for the next one? I tried another one. He got about halfway through that thing. This is really funny. He says, okay, you all ready for, for this one? And all of us turned as one person. It was really funny. At the same time, he said, no thanks. You've had enough. <laughs> but it was it was really cool. A lot of good memories. And then the next year when Ushmal came up. Right. That's my first um, year. That was a completely different setting, man. It was um, didn't quite like it as much as uh, the conference was great. Didn't like the setting as much. Kind of dry and, and yeah. Stuff. Didn't have that that rainforest uh, wetness and, and green. You know, the thousand different one shades of green and stuff. Yeah. And uh, Ushmal was uh, was quite a was quite an experience. Um, and again, the uh, I was by the accessibility of people. Um, I remember I would, the first day there, um, Ann and Sasha get up and talk, and I said, you know, I, I've, I've been through this talk before, so let me get out. I wanted to get out, walk around. And I ran into Peter first. Oh, yeah. Was on, he was on, on the steps. He's waiting for a ride. So I just wanted to tell him, you know, because he, did, did he, he did that great first talk about the, uh, about the, the objects that the antique stealers couldn't figure out what they were. They looked like... like uh, they were for enemas, right? Yeah, yeah, for, for enemas and stuff. It was really yeah, San funny. San Pedro enemas. Yeah. And uh, I went to tell him, you know, what a great time I had with it. And I figured, you know, I'd say hi, goodbye and all that. We went up talking for almost an hour until yeah. his ride came. And again, it impressed me. He was a guy, real great scholar and stuff. Yep. He's willing to sit here and talk about the stuff and share all he, uh, all he had. Yeah. Um, and it, what was... Significant about Ushmal too, is that remember when we went down to Palenque? I didn't know about bringing stuff into the country. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know. They didn't right. realize it's no problem bringing it in; it's just getting it out. Right. Uh, so when I went to Ushmal, I went loaded with my my jar of holy shit, <laughs> which was the, the peanut butter with the cannabis in it. Yeah. And uh, I had mushrooms. I had all the stuff. I and some some weed, and I came down there. A lot of people had nothing. I said it was kind of funny that the only guy here who has the dope is the the PO. Uh, 
<laughs> as the law enforcement guy. Of course. Uh, and that was an incredible experience. That's when yeah. I met uh, Amanda Fielding. Right. And, and Jamie. Uh, Antonio Escatado. Yep. I remember one I, I think you guys all went to the pyramids the night Jonathan Ott got married on had that marriage wedding ceremony on top of the pyramids. Yeah. yeah I didn't that go was for that. was a powerful that. night. Yeah, my friend Lou and I said, we're going to hang back here. We wound up sitting by the poolside, and Antonio Escatado was talking about Thomas Jefferson. It was sitting there, and Amanda comes up with Jamie and goes, would you gentlemen like to smoke some hashish? <laughs> so yeah, and we spent the night there just hanging out, smoking, and talking about stuff. I, I remember that night at the pyramids. Yeah. I ended up on like four hits of acid, uh, sitting on top of the magician's pyramid with a guy named Stuart from Australia with a didgeridoo. Oh yeah, he was yeah. He was a cool cat. What was cool about that conference is that night we'd be sitting by poolside, people shrooming out, and he'd be. I, it sounded like he was on the roof of the hotel. Yeah. But that didgeridoo would be yeah. gone. It was all, it was fueling the whole thing all Yeah, 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 yeah. It was awesome. And, you know, I, I had seen him in Merida the week before. I, I had no idea he was coming out to that thing. I said, this is an interesting dude. Um, and he said, you want to learn how to play? Uh, stupid. I should have said, yeah. Yeah. I should have said, yeah. It would have been a great... But that was cool, because that didgeridoo was constantly going. I, I remember that that night. That's the night I had one of the most incredible mushroom experiences I've ever had. I had... Uh, I was only on two grams. I'd been out burning copal and stuff and trying to make a flowable thing, and things were not working out, and mushroom wasn't coming on right and stuff, so I, I dumped all the pretentious bullshit. And I just took uh, a pillow and a, and, a, and a blanket, and I went up by the poolside, the big platform they had. And I just laid down under the sky. There was a clear sky, full moon, and things were kind of dark. And I said, come on, come on, guys. I trouble to lighten up a bit. And suddenly, there was this creature in front of me, entity. It looked like he had running lights all over his body of purples and, and uh, different shades of purple and, and ultraviolet and blue and, and dancing in front of me. And it was just the most incredible thing I had ever seen. And then I looked up at the sky and staring at the moon, and there was this huge, huge diaphanous. It almost looked like a jellyfish. And it was like the round corona or halo of the moon. And I said, you know, it looks like I'm under a giant diaphanous mushroom cap. And I just sat there all night just completely moonstruck. That's the only way I could think of moonstruck. <laughs> And it was just an absolutely glorious experience. And you could see the ruins off in the distance where you guys are. I think it's crazy. Four hits of acid and you're on top of the magician's pyramids, a bitch, man. I know. And that didge, man. you got to pull yourself up by that chain. Oh, and he was playing that didge and everything was just kind of going. Everything was like, oh, yeah. You know, off the, breathing off the walls and flexing. And yeah, it was really incredible. I'll tell you, Ushmal was in really incredible, incredible ruins. Yeah. And that, that uh, one spot where you have that courtyard, you could, it'd be a great place to hold a concert in there. Yeah. Or do a rave. Good, good acoustics. Have the DJ set up and stuff. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. I don't even know, knew this and not remember, but the the guards chased us out of there about five yeah. in the morning shooting their guns. <laughs> oh, I don't know shooting guns. Yeah, they were like, I know they and they started and they, shooting. They started shooting. Wow. I, I know they came and busted everything up. Yeah. We start, we saw people coming back in dribs and drags yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. Was yeah, that, that was, that was uh, yeah, that was, that was really some experience. Yeah. So, uh, um, one of the things about the Palenque seminars, um, when I went, yeah. I recorded everything meticulously. Yeah. I had 
boxes of tapes. And um, when Lorenzo started the salon, yeah. he asked me, and I gave him tapes, and a lot yeah. of the original podcasts were from yeah. the tapes that I had. Yeah. And one of the great ones was Christian Reich. Um, he had oh. lived with the, yeah. the Lacandon Indians around the ruins in Palenque. Oh, yeah. And he gave us a tour of the ruins with stuff that even the tour guides didn't know. And I recorded yeah. it, right? Oh, you did record it. I recorded it. So Lorenzo yeah. got that. Yeah. He put it on a podcast, and this kid from China yeah. downloaded the podcast. Yeah. This is when iPods were still yeah. new, right? And he went to the ruins, and he went on the tour listening to Chris John Reich on his friggin' yeah. iPod, which was yeah. great. Oh, Chris, so, yeah. yeah. He, he was special. So the great thing, and I don't want to get your take on this. I'm building up to something here, but... One of the great things about those seminars is that not only did you have the psychedelic authorities, the uh, anthropologists and professors and yeah. chemists, yeah. but you had you had chemists, you had writers, you had musicians, you had artists, and everybody yeah. came together w- with common ground. And so it was oh, a yeah. really, like you said, really amazing. It was people. the greatest. So yeah, the greatest. So I mean, I'm talking. I'm sitting there having lunch with a guy who helped fix the uh, Hubble Space Telescope. Right. You know, I'm going. Oh, geez, how cool is that? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. very cool. Christian, oh man, what a trip that guy was! Yeah, uh, we met him the first time in '97 with that long hair and right. stuff. Right, looked like Jesus. And I remember going up to rooms. He's hanging out talking to the, all the Lacandones that are there doing this, and he's rapping to them in their language. They're fascinating. He was a fascinating guy. He was. I had fun with him. When I was uh, in 2006, I went to Basel for the uh, first international Albert honesty. Hoffman? Yeah, the yeah. Albert Hoffman thing with the international conference thing, and I, I bought his uh, I bought his encyclopedia of psychology. Yeah. I got him to, to sign it. Oh, good. That sucker is on, on top. That's a great book. Christian was a real trip, and his stories about uh, living among the lock and down. I remember he says, you know, he says when I showed up, because he, he had his hair just like theirs did, and the, the village elder said, "Oh, I've been expecting you." And a little monkey came to me in a dream a few days ago and said, "You're going to be on your way, so you've been expected, son." Uh-huh. And they they brought him in. He was a he was a real trip. Him and put him and Jonathan out together. Just like it was, a, it was oh a, yeah, man! It just uh, it just twisted the world around to a different thing. You didn't even have to be on drugs. And Jonathan, you know, Jonathan, Jonathan looks like a guy who lives under a tree. Yeah, I mean, you know, he looks like a real forest type creature. <laughs> forest creature. Yeah. yeah, but that that was just uh, amazing. Then in, when I went back in '99, I actually brought my wife because I figured I'd introduce her to people and see, to, you know, put her at kind of ease, you know, uh, and. Uh, so I, I I missed a lot of the extracurricular stuff because there was a, yeah yeah there, oh there's tons of that there was tons of it and so you were getting things on different levels you were getting yeah. all the lectures all day and into the yeah. night and then chemists these underground chemists would come and they'd have yeah. new things that they got from Sasha's oh, yeah. cookbook yeah and they were trying them out and handing yeah. them out and so you did you had yeah. you had intellectual and experiential yeah. learning which was really awesome yeah, you know what I liked about that I, I also felt that if you were going to try anything for the first time. Um, this was a really good place to do it because these people knew what the hell was going exactly. on, and they really cared. They really yeah. cared about you, about your welfare and stuff. Yeah, and uh, that's where I did my first five meo. Yeah, I was having to do my wife, and, and and our friend the dentist comes up and says, right. "Hey, would you like to try some of this and, and five meo?" And I said, uh, "Sure." I said, "Honey, excuse me for about twenty minutes." And I remember going off a little place, and they said, sit here, and they handed me a pipe, and they held it for me, and they said, took good deep puffs, and came out, and I said, oh. I was trying to say, God, just like mushrooms, but I guess just like mush, and suddenly it fell back, and I was falling through that, like I said, that beautiful, colorful world, and that, that 
cosmic calliope music. It's the only way I can describe what was playing. And it was like, I don't know how long it lasted, but it was just, I kept falling. It was like that scene in Alice in Wonderland, a cartoon where she's falling down that rabbit hole and things right. going by. I'm down there, and it's just, I'm totally ecstatic. It was just, it's just an, an you know, incredible, incredible, incredible experience. And it was cool because I felt, you know, I was with people who knew what they were doing. I had no fear. Right. And then if I was going to run into problems you know, of any, uh, that would be the place to do it. But again, having my wife there and her being not a, a participant, I did miss on uh, a lot of the extracurricular stuff. But yeah. again, I said, you know, I, I said it's just, I could even conceive of myself coming down, spending a week here, and not doing anything. Because what was coming across in the classroom was just so valuable and so real. Right. Uh, and I even hate to call it a classroom. It was just kind of like people hanging out and, and talking. And it, and it got a lot, lot of information. And now I talk to people. I say, oh, yeah, there was a guy, Terrence McKinnon. I says, yeah. You, know, I have, you knew him? Yeah, right. You knew him? I said, well, I wasn't a buddy, but I've had breakfast and lunch with him a couple of times and, and talk with him. And, and there's a whole generation out there. You know, I really miss him. You know, it's been, what, 10 yeah. years now? Yeah, uh, yes, he was something. Yeah. He was like, he was the man. He was the, you know, he, some people try to build him a tour of God, you know, and she was that. Yeah, he was I, human. I, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, and sometimes I think got things I, I dis, will disagree. I mean, Lorenzo and I disagree with him on his take on, on crop circles. But uh, it, was, it was just just being in a proximity of these people, and uh, it was just uh, God. Yeah, he was a he was a big draw, and it was interesting because after he died, yeah. we had one more Palenque yeah. seminar, and then that was it. It just people weren't. Yeah, I wanted to go to that, but I had had my heart attack a few months before that, and uh, the doctor said, "No, nah, you probably shouldn't travel." Yeah. Actually, I think going probably would have been the best thing for me at the time. Yeah, so right. Was, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Working with the plant medicines, but pa- Palenque is. Uh, there was talk of having uh, having like a reunion. Yeah, thing. people talk but, about it. You know, I don't. It, it's still not. Uh, it just wouldn't. It just would not be the be the same. You know, we think. were we were all really living a big moment and sort of not really fully realizing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when you're living in the middle of history, you have no sense of it. Yeah. You really have very little sense of it and stuff. Yeah. And because uh, I remember I, I, the last time I saw Terrence in New York, we were talking there, and some kids behind me, and I said, "Oh yeah, you're playing." He says, "Yeah, I went to Plenty." Oh wow. How was it? Yeah, yeah. I heard it was totally wild, totally. I says, well, you know, it wasn't quite as wild as you would think it was. It wasn't just a bunch of people sitting in the jungle taking drugs and doing shit. I says, it was an incredible, it was a multidisciplinary experience. Yeah. Yeah. You learned. And uh, it was really good. But these were the guys, the true believers. These these were the kids that liked to, you know, place people on pedestals and work yeah. as gods and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had. You remember Giorgio Samarini? And I, I knew. Oh, Giorgio, what a sweet, sweet guy! I was, I was talking to him, and I had some questions about mushrooms in, in, in Europe, and he ran back to his space and came back and gave me. He says, "Now you're going to have to get somebody to translate this in Italian." But he handed me a stack of papers and information on, wow. on uh, use of mushrooms in, in ancient cultures in the Mediterranean and stuff. Palenque is also the first time I went up in an ultralight, too. Oh, yeah. There was an old guy that, that had an ultralight there. So I, I was deep into my photography. Yeah. And I mean, I'm getting a little space, and I take my camera up, and I'm flying that sucker and going over the ruins and coming down out of the clouds, and suddenly you see this 
you see the the, the, the tombs and the, the pyramids just starting to come up out of the mist. It was just just spectacular. Um, slightly off topic, but along the lines, I'm curious if you're up for this. Maybe you've sort of been on both sides of the law. Yeah, you know, you've seen really seen both sides. You've been oh yeah deeply embedded. Well, in the I was system. a juvenile delinquent too. I've got to well, say that's like why, that yeah, when I was well, that's thirteen. Why, you know, yeah, that's why you and I bonded so much because yeah. we have that similarity. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's why I understood my parolees and stuff. Right. You know. So, is there any advice you could give for you know uh, listeners, younger listeners, maybe? But you know, like I have my friend, one of my best friends, he passed away, Eric Hart, who was a lawyer. Talked about the law and what your rights are and what happens if you get stopped and all that. And I'm not looking necessarily for anything like that, but is there any advice you might give for people in terms of dealing with the system? And if you don't, it's okay. I'm just... Keep a low profile. Yeah. Don't don't get in don't get involved with them in the first place. Right. Um, you know, I have a tendency to talk back. Yeah. You know, I have problems with authority. You know, unless I know you've made your bones and you and you've walked the walk. Then I'll, I'll I'll listen up, you know. But uh, if you're getting pushy, because I can tell that, you know, my thing is that 90% of the evil in this world is, is caused by what is known as the fragile male ego. Yeah. And and I can see it. I saw it on my job, and I see it in some cops and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I would say the best thing is just keep away from them. And And I remember what, what, what Terrence also said. He said. We were talking about Salvia Divinorum. Yeah. When it was first coming out. Yeah. And... Funny about Salvi there, that was Palenque in, what was it, was it 99? When he said, by the way, he says, would anybody like to, how many people smoke Salvi? And a bunch of people put their hands up. How many people want to talk about the experiences? No one raised their hand. Interesting. Yeah, weird. And I said, boy, this must be some strange shit. But uh, uh, Terrence used to say, and in reference to the Salvia, he says, please, let's not blow this. Let's not engage in behavior that lands us in emergency rooms. Good. So, and I'd say that's, uh, I can't give any, any better advice than that. Just take your time with, well, when I was 20 and dropping the stuff, I want to listen to this. I just took, I mean, the first time somebody handed me a psychedelic, they, they put, well, they said it was mescaline, but I know it was no synthetic mescaline out there. And then just put the tab, purple tab in my hand. And I didn't even look at it. Put it in my hand, just popped it right away. Not mm-hmm. even a second thought. And that's how I went about things. Now that uh, a little bit more experience, a little bit more measured in my approach. Yeah. And I think that's a sensible way because if you, you take your time, you're not going to get involved in anything that brings the attention of the medical or the police authorities. Right. And I, cops do not understand this stuff at all. Right. Um, when I was still working in the Bronx, when I was in exile in the Bronx, my last year on the job, I remember they they uh, there was a they were busting people for uh, MDMA and some stuff in, in the city. And they interviewed this uh, deputy inspector in the police department. Now I know in San Francisco every detective is an inspector, but in the NYPD a deputy inspector is well above captain. It's a very high placed person, you know. Right. And uh, this guy was talking about yeah this. Uh, this extra stuff, it's its a combination of uh, LSD and speed. Oh. I said, what? And this is, you know, and this guy's being quoted in the newspapers, you know, as an authority. I'm saying, no, that's absolute bullshit. Yeah. But I had to keep my, you know, I had to keep from responding to that. I mean, I remember one time when I, I talked to uh, the uh, uh, personnel people in Albany about uh, people having... 
you know, if you have an alcohol problem, they'll get you a rehab. If you have a drug problem, they fire you. Ah. But I thought they might do a different approach. And I, and I remember when they were doing the, uh, Deborah Mash was doing the Ibogaine treatments. And, yeah, uh, right, right, kids. right. I went to them and I said, uh, you know, if you have anybody who's had real bad problem with cocaine and stuff, there's a really interesting new way to treat that. Uh, you know, and they looked at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I realized, you know, they have no interest in salvaging people. They just throw them away. Yeah. I mean, when they popped one of my guys, I was I was concentrating. I said, look, the guy was a great officer. I mean, come on, we can work what to do. But they wouldn't. They're, when it comes to, if it's alcohol, it's okay. But if it's anything else, it's illegal. That's it, they're done. They don't want to know, but they have no interest in, in helping people. Out. You know, but, it's uh, uh, interesting because what you were just saying about if you have alcohol, you're you can get taken care of and if it's drugs they treat you that way because I have a, yeah. a very good friend yeah. who uh, got in trouble with a really small amount of cocaine yeah. and she was drinking and she got busted felony all this bullshit mm-hmm. and she had to go through rehab yeah. and they and this was just within the past couple two three years and they showed her those pictures of uh, holes in your brain from ecstasy and, oh, and they told cool. her this is the truth, and she really believed in it. And I got into this discussion with her, and so I finally went online and I found the where it was exposed, and I sent it to her, and she's like, "Oh my god!" Oh, it's the whole thing about Rickard. Exactly, that's who was on Rickard. it. That yeah, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. Where they, they were actually dosing the monkeys with uh, methamphetamine. Yeah, methamphetamine. Yeah, for, yeah. For those of you who don't know, this yeah. government shill Rickard, R I C A U R T E, I think, doctor, did this study, and he said that ecstasy puts holes in your brains and they publish these bullshit pictures and it could ruin you for, ruin life, you for on life one dose one dose and and then somebody did some digging and found out that he used methamphetamine in the study yeah. instead of MDMA and the thing is he wasn't even aware that he was using the wrong drug things were well, mislabeled so he says wow that throws in the see conspiracy theories nah, <laughs> but yeah I don't know you know he said that but I was under the impression they just Stuff was mislabeled, and they were just pumping these monkeys bullshit. with methamphetamine. He got caught because you know you, yeah. he got caught. I know, I know. Our friend uh, Dr. Tom said this man is is finished in the scientific community. Exactly. But you want to know something? A yeah. couple of years ago, in the back of the Village Voice, they were there was a uh, a search for MDMA users, right? And he was doing research again. Exactly. Yeah. So the government has him because he's the man. That's you know? exactly right. Government has him. He's doing. He's doing more research on MDMA. Right. And I. I. I mean, the, the man has already just shown that he's a. He's a liar. And yeah. what scientist? A scientist is supposed yeah. to be exacting in what he does. Yeah. Can you imagine? He was pretty Being sloppy. a scientist. Yeah. I'd say, oh yeah. gee, y'all. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, instead of giving you uh, amino acids, I gave you hydrochloric acid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, duh. You know. Yeah, I feel for those poor monkeys too, man. Yeah. Because I, I've. Uh, I've never done methamphetamine, but I, I've done ups and stuff. I've done and it. I, I know that stuff. And, it's not good. And, no, no, no. MDMA is much. Yeah. MDMA, I can't do it anymore because of my heart condition. Yeah. MDMA. MDMA with a little bit of LSD, a little candy flip. Oh, what a great way to spend the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a good thing. So, um, but also, you know, the interesting thing about, I mean, you're talking about New York. But this this is this podcast is uh, international. Yeah. You know, we got brothers all over the planet. Oh yeah. We're tuning in. Yeah. You know, maybe eventually we'll reach the tipping point. Yeah. Reach a critical mass. 
It'd be really nice. Yeah. It'd be really nice to change things around. There's, I remember Huxley's book, Island. Right. Uh, I love the concept. And it was a society that found the different types and tried to channel everybody naturally and using, you know, using the, the, the soma and stuff to yeah. achieve that experience and, and find out where you're at and then your society helping you by putting you into a kind of a role where your natural inclinations could be used for positive positive yeah. needs. Yep, you know? yep. Set yep. a guy out there to chop trees instead of go beat people up. Yeah, you know exactly. And that that's the thing, for those of you, if you have not heard it, I really rec- strongly recommend listening to the, the Jim Fadiman pon- podcast we recently did that uh, I mentioned that, that uh, Bill had also had some comments on because uh, Jim's been researching for years and years and years and really doing it with the right way and the right attitude, oh, yeah. you know, uh, with integrity. And, you know, in that, that book, I, I always get that sense of the man is full of compassion. Yep. I got that sense in the, reading that book. Yeah. Uh, he's an interesting guy, too. I, I heard him speak finally. Nice guy. Yeah, you know. Nice guy. You could sit have a couple of beers with this dude at the bar. Oh, yeah. Did, did no you know problem. how we met? No. no. I was teaching yeah. a writing workshop at the Santa Barbara yeah. Writers Conference. Yeah. And he came, and I didn't know who he was. Yeah. And he came as a student. Yeah. And he's like, as far as I'm concerned, he says it's the left hand of God, right? Yeah. And yeah. he came in, and he was a good writer. I might have yeah. even given him an award. And he was with me for three or four days uh, every day, yeah. you know, doing his stuff. He was working on a novel. Yeah. Uh, and he had some great short stories. And then he came up, and he gave me his book, The Other Side of Hate. And I, and I gave him Land Without Evil. And, and then, and then we, we started talking, and I finally looked at him, and I said, you're one of us, aren't you? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. yeah. And then when I found out who he really was, I was yeah. like, oh, my God. So uh, here's a man that's been living under the wire too, because yeah. you know, until a few years ago, I'd never heard of him. Right? I may have seen his name in a reference somewhere, but I'd never but heard of him. He's been a real and central he's figure. really and he's really. Uh, I think his book is really important. I mean, besides yeah. P. Colin T. Cole, yeah, that's one book. I'm 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 going to keep his book there because it's it's just a wonderful. It's just a, it's a not only a history of, of the research. And a jumping off point to go to, to, to new spaces and try that, you know, the uh, the micro dosing and all that. Yeah. But the, about, about guiding and, and uh, taking care of people and everything. Uh, in other words, the, if if you did your psychedelic exploration and use according to his book, his way, right. yes, you're not going to come in contact with the cops. You're right. not going to wind up in the emergency room like right. that. And it's going to become more than just through. It's going to become a. a it's going to be what enriches your life and, and sets you apart from the rest of the the people that don't. And I'm not talking from a position of arrogance, but I am so glad I turned on. Amen, brother. I am so glad, man. Because yeah. otherwise, this can be a, a kind of a grim, a grim life. Yeah. Grim life. Some people, to forget how grim it can be, get lost in a rat race and uh, yeah. you know, consume themselves. Uh that's that's a great thing. I, it's it's turning on was it was oh God it was I, I still remember that day yeah, I was in San Antonio and they handed me that pill and everybody wanted to hang out watch the walls breathe and I said no it was a beautiful spring afternoon I went outside walked among the oleander put on my bathing suit I went swimming oh, dove yeah. off a diving board hired a kite yeah. went under the water. And my thing used to be to swim on the water from one end of the pool to the other. Yeah. I dove under, and I'm going, and I just took my time. At the end of the pool, I didn't want to come up out. Right. Being in a, maybe it was like being in the amniotic fluid. I don't know what. 
But I felt completely at home, and I felt I could swim on the water for a couple more hours. And I said, no, Tom, you better come up to the surface. Beautiful experience. I still remember that, that afternoon. That just, uh, I mean, had no ego dissolution. It was probably only about 100 mics equivalent. Yeah. But it was just enough to say, wow, I looked at the world. It was like I saw the world anew for the first time. Yeah. You know? The, uh, the veil was lifted. And uh, everything was just fucking beautiful. Yeah. And that's when I realized the world was a perfect place. There you go. The world is a perfect right. place. Wow. So you, you, you've, um, you've done a lot of work. I mean, you've, in, in your formal work as a PO, yeah. you dealt with a lot of really tough, dark, messed up energy. And and those are the people I work for. Right, right. And, and you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you, but you yeah. took on a lot of stuff. Yeah, and now through the years, and especially now, particularly with ayahuasca, yeah. you're going back and you're healing those wounds and you're getting rid of the the, the baggage that you've been carrying. Oh, it's a bitch. Because I I feel like uh, 12 years ago I, I underwent a betrayal and an injustice, and it's never going to be righted. That's yeah. really hard to do. It's never going to be right, and uh, it's been like a bleeding a slow death that wound hasn't healed and that's what I'm trying to do because hey it's a, it's a motherfucker yeah but that's why I don't mind spending a lot of time on my hands and knees yeah you know dry heaving yeah I can <laughs> because I can, I'm, I'm witness working that. that stuff out I mean right. it's, it's it's if that's what I got to do to get rid of 30 years of all this this negative energy coming in and uh, I love working the dark side of the street I'm attracted to the dark yeah uh, to me I like the twilight world my f- favorite time of day is just like an hour before sundown to an hour after. Yeah. That's when I feel the most power coming on. Yeah. And it's like the border between night and day and the, the borderlands. I mean, uh, until I just uh, kind of ruined my career, I said, you know, when I get out of, when I retire from parole, I should look up Nathan Edelman and those people because I thought I, I could be a bridge between, is that idealistic acid bullshit, that <laughs> I would try to work to be a bridge between the world and the street, because it's also in my chart and on my readings that I, that, I, that I can work at many different levels up and down. I can mix with a lot of different types of people. And I like to bring things together. And I thought I would like to work to educate law enforcement people yeah. what this stuff is really about. Yeah. What this, and, and try to get you know some communication so maybe we can work out some kind of an accommodation. You know, and and change change some of those laws, but before the change the laws, you really got to change the attitude. I remember standing in the South Bronx one time, just after a really depressing episode with a, a person about their life and stuff, and I'm standing there and looking at all this despair because the air was heavy with despair, uh, and people had just given up, mm-hmm. and. I stood there and I just broke into tears. I must have been quite a sight. You know, my vest on, my badge, my gun. And I'm just in tears because I realize, you know, unless people change, unless everybody gets on board, they can do all the laws they want and nothing, nothing's going to change. It's going to be shit. Right. And again, that's what I call the, the curse of acid. You see the big picture. You understand how it can be resolved. I don't think many people have the will to get there. But I was, you know, I was going to try to try to mend it. Now... I try to stay away from cops. You know, I never hung out with, with cops and cop bars and stuff like that. Right. And I don't watch cop movies and none of that bullshit. I, I stay as far away as I can from that. And uh, who needs it, right? Just try to lead the, the righteous life. And there are some good people there, you know. And 
Yeah. Some people you can reach, but you know, again, there's not enough of them. You know? yeah. And they're not going to come out of the closet because they lose real heavy. Oh, that you know, I'm retired now. I'm yeah. retired now. So you I can mean, speak more freely. You know, they they can. You know, they they could do all. You know, they could try to do things and threaten me with things, but. I'm at the point where I'm going, oh, I'm 65, man. How many more years I got, you know, middle heart and all that shit? So, fuck it, you know. So we play a bionic bio- So I, I never, yeah, I never, yeah, I'm being assimilated by the board. I really, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd really like to be able to figure out through a formula just how much of my part is artificial. I can say, I'm only 98% human. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly off subject with Palenque, but you've also done a lot of work with uh, Alex Gray. Well, yeah, you know, when I... Uh, when I, I went down to, uh, um, oh, what the hell is the name? There was a, there was a, a conference down at uh, in Oaxaca. Yeah. The uh, oh, what the hell they call that? I'll think of it. I didn't go. I know the one you mean. Yeah, John Hanna. John Hanna. Yeah. yeah, the great thing, one of the last. And uh, down there, I was uh, I was talking to my friend, and I said, you know. There's not, you know, in California, you seem to have places where you can go where you meet all... There doesn't seem to be anything like that in New York that I was aware of, a place. Right. And then Alex and Allison Gray get up and do their spiel, and they talk about they're opening a Chapel of Sacred Mirrors, 27th Street and 10th Avenue, and I almost freaked out. Because that's like six, seven blocks from where I live. Yeah. And so... uh, I got back to New York. I first thing I did, I went to their uh, their uh, the party they threw the uh, Deities and Demons Masquerade party on Halloween. Uh-huh. I put on, a, got my tuxedo out, got a tuxedo and stuff, and some flashing lights on, and my sneakers, and I went and I started taking pictures. Because a couple of people there knew who I was, you know. Until a guy came up, smelled the, the cannabis on my breath. He said, "Okay, he's okay." And I started <laughs> hanging out there, and, and I've been doing a lot of photography. Uh, Outdoors mostly and stuff. But uh, I started taking pictures indoors, pictures of Alex painting, uh, pictures of doing things. And I started handing him discs and stuff to do. And eventually I worked into a way where I was uh, kind of like a house photographer in a way. Any time there was a big event there, I was there constantly uh, taking pictures. And I haven't done that in a couple of years. Uh, up until then, I probably had taken more pictures of Alex Gray Penny than anybody else on the face of the earth. Yeah. Because I just go in with that great digital camera and just do picture it. Because we used to have these great painting parties. Yeah. Uh, where they had a DJ playing. And he'd have an easel doing a doing a painting. Other artists would be doing things and things going on in other rooms. Snake charmers and a chill-out room. And the whole community would get together. We'd go to 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and stuff. And uh, it was really cool working with him because Alex was a Alex is a really neat man, an incredibly talented guy, uh, a really beautiful dude, and uh, I, I I I really connected with him. I traveled with uh, with them to uh, Damanhur when they went. Oh yeah, I heard a lot about that place. Yeah, I went to Damanhur with them for a week, and uh, also and then. Basel, Switzerland. Yeah, you know for the for the thing. In fact, uh, Alex brought me up to the room and he showed me in his portrait of, of of Albert that Albert had taken a brush and signed and didn't oh. just sign the back of the canvas, but drew in the the chemical organic chemical formula for LSD. Oh, nice on the back. 
and Alex is there. And here's this really top like a little kid, like he got Pee Wee Reese's autograph. You know? <laughs> he was just so pleased. And Alex, I remember Alex would be signing posters because he'll sign anything for everybody. And and Allison's going, "Come, on, Alex, we got to go to lunch." And Alex says, "Yeah, yeah, wait, let me do." And he would just talk to people. He would just say, "Hi, what's your name?" Like put in a book. Yeah. He would sit and talk. People would talk. He was just very people oriented. So yeah. I love taking pictures of him and stuff in that chapel. They've moved up river. Once they moved up river, I kind of look because I, I just I don't have a car. You know? Yeah, I'm a city guy. I got a bicycle. You know, and uh, I get I've gotten up there once in a while. But uh-huh. since the stuff with my hip and all that, I just can't do. I haven't done any photography work in a, in a couple of years. Yeah. But my time with them was was really well, was really good. Yeah. Was really good. Nice people. Nice. Well, we've been uh, we've been rapping here for about an hour. Yeah. So. We're going to wind it down here, but is there any sort of final words of wisdom or pieces of advice or things you want to say at all? Uh, uh, I should have thought about it at the time. But yeah. yeah. No. Okay. No. Well, keep the faith, babe. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, yeah, We kind of handed it off from Palenque, but, you know. Well, we're talking about psychedelics and we're talking about yeah, I have a tendency to do that. I'll go from one thing to another and eventually yeah. I come back to the. Oh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, yeah. and I think a lot of what you said has value for the listeners. Well, I hope you, everybody gets something. To the experience. So yeah. um, this is uh, Mateo and Wild Bill signing off from the Psychedelic Salon, and uh, Lorenzo will probably add in some notes, and uh, anything we missed, he'll put yeah, in. Yeah, Lorenzo should be here. Yeah, he was supposed Bunked to be out. here. Yeah, Bunked out, but you know, he's that type of guy anyway. Yeah, we'll, we'll get even with him, right? Yeah. We'll fix his wagon. All right, thank you, and uh, keep the faith. That's the final word from Wild Bill. All right, this is Mateo signing off. You're listening to The Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Now, if you'll think back to several podcasts ago, uh, we heard, I think it was Terrence McKenna, say that while there are old psychonauts and there are bold psychonauts, there are no old, bold psychonauts. And I think that even though we just heard some great stories about a few wild psychedelic experiences, that both Mateo and Wild Bill will tell you that the reason they are still here is that neither one of them ever pushed the limits into the uh, extremely bold arena, uh, although there were a few times when they could probably see it from where they were working. You see, it's not about uh, what or how much or how often or even if you ever do use our sacred medicines to explore the deeper realms of consciousness. It's all about what you learn while you're in that space and, most importantly, what you bring back and use to enrich your life. Uh, I don't think that our heroes uh, are really the out-of-control people who combine several substances and then take big doses every weekend. No, uh, in my opinion, the truly heroic work is what is done in the default world during the days and weeks that follow a sensible psychedelic journey. Now, as we just heard, both uh, Bill and Matteo thought, and, and I agree with them, that the really important part of conferences, like the ones in Palenque, come not from the formal lectures as much as from the casual interactions with the speakers at the conference, and even more importantly, the conversations and the friendships that are made with the other participants. 
which is why I'm uh, really looking forward so much to the Esalen workshop that Bruce Damer and I will be leading this June 15th through the 17th. As you know, uh, the setting at Esalen is uh, as conductive to building these kinds of relationships between all of the participants as was Palenque, uh, maybe even more so. And the truth is that I'm looking more forward to hearing what some of our participants will have to say than uh, I am to my own talks, uh, <laughs> which is natural, of course, because I already know what I'm going to say. And uh, I guess I should mention that there's some really interesting people who've already signed up. For example, uh, Ken Adams will be there with a recent cut of his new video about the work of Terrence McKenna. And uh, also John Hanna is going to attend. And as you know, uh, John not only produced all of the Mind States conferences, uh, in many other ways he's also one of the key members of the worldwide psychedelic community. And I'm sure that John will have a lot to add to our weekend workshop. Plus, I'm excited to announce that Diana Slattery will also be there. As you may remember, uh, many of the Terrence McKenna talks that I played here in the salon came from Diana, who is perhaps the very first formal scholar to have deeply investigated McKenna's work. So uh, be sure to bring your unanswered Terrence McKenna questions if you plan on attending yourself. Uh, I think in an earlier podcast it was that I mentioned the fact that we'd been allocated 24 spots for participants in this workshop, but already we have 23 people registered, and so the good folks at Esalen have given us a somewhat larger space, and uh, now there is room for 30 people, which means that there are still seven spots left in the event that you can make it. Uh, and I'll put a link to that uh, event in the program notes for this podcast, which, as you know, you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us. But one last point about the workshop that I should make is that it will be different from the Palenque conferences in one significant way. And uh, that is that, unlike the conferences that are held outside of the United States, this one will most definitely not have any kind of participatory experiences included. Uh, you see, here in the United Police States of America, I'm afraid that uh, we can only talk about these sacred medicines, but we've got to go elsewhere for the actual experiences. So, uh, if you happen to be one of the DEA agents who are monitoring these podcasts, uh, you can save your time and some of the taxpayers' money and skip this workshop because nothing illegal is going to take place or be discussed there. Uh, plus, we're going to be recording all of the talks in both audio and video formats so that Everyone who wasn't able to attend will also be able to hear and see it anyway. But getting back to the conversation that we just listened to, did you pick up on the fact that both of these very experienced and longtime psychonauts took a break of uh, oh, 10 or 15 years between their early, youthful, fun-loving experimentation with these substances and their more mature spiritual investigations with these materials? You may be surprised at how normal this is, Quite often I hear from our fellow saloners who experimented during their college days and then set them aside for a long spell before once again looking into this field. And if you stop and think about uh, the fact that tens of millions of young people turned on in the 60s, well, uh, what if they all come back to the tribe today? Uh, if that happened, I think we could probably solve most of the major problems of the world in short order. Or, <laughs> or at the least, we could have one hell of a party. <laughs> well, uh, there are a lot of other Palenque stories, as I like to think of them. Uh, and I'd like to tell them, although uh, some of those stories can only be told in private. 
You know, if you think about it, there must have been well over a thousand people who attended those conferences. And uh, the alumni, when we meet one another, uh, first often ask, what week did you attend? You see, the uh, actual conference lasted just one week, but they always did two of them back-to-back. So you were either a first-weeker or a second-weeker. And uh, there were about a hundred people in each uh, sold-out week. So, uh, of course, there were a lot of people who came more than once. And, uh, in fact, at times it seemed more like an annual family reunion. So I guess maybe my estimate of a thousand may be a little high. But uh, those thousand or so people uh, came from dozens of countries and from every background imaginable. You know, there were students who were bumming around the world, serious students of chemistry and anthropology, people who held uh, very significant and very public positions in uh, both society and government. There were uh, retired people and and then guys like I was at the time, just uh, another wage slave stuck in the belly of the corporate beast and wondering what the heck I was doing with my life. And uh, for most of us, uh, those days in Palenque were a transformative and life-changing experience, one without which uh, you and I wouldn't be together here in cyberdelic space right now. But uh, as much as I'd like to continue uh, talking about those Palenque conferences, I've uh, got to move on right now because there's one more thing I'd like to play for you today. However, uh, first I have two publications that I want to tell you about, and uh, they uh, more or less come from completely opposite ends of the spectrum. The first is a book that, uh, quite frankly, is uh, for the most part way over my head, simply because I've never studied much about the subject matter. The title of the book is A Basic Theory of Neuropsychoanalysis, and it was written by W.M. Bernstein, who also happens to be one of us, a, a fellow Saloner. I first met William at Burning Man a few years ago, and since then he's been hard at work on, among other things, this uh, scholarly book. And the reason I want to point it out uh, to everyone here in the salon, and not just send notice of it to the psychedelic researchers who I know are among us, is that uh, it not only reaches into the deep world of psychoanalysis, it also includes some discussion about the role of psychedelics. And while psychedelics aren't the primary focus of the work, what I like about it is how matter-of-factly William has worked their discussion into his book without uh, making a huge deal about it. And hopefully many more scholars in the years ahead will also be willing to write about our sacred medicines uh, so matter-of-factly. Now on the other end of the scale, uh, which doesn't mean it's any less intellectual, comes a magazine titled Thought Nachos. (laughs) And yes, it is all about psychedelic substances. And due to the high quality and uh, the style of the art, I could almost uh, call it a zine. But the overall quality seems to me to be way at the high end of the zine community and more of what my parents would have called a magazine, uh, a rather far out magazine, of course. Uh, As I understand it, their print run is uh, pretty small, which means that if this publication does catch hold for the long run, these uh, first few issues are going to become valuable collector's items. However, one of the reasons I'm giving them a plug here in the salon is that they also give away a huge number of the digital versions online. And uh, just to give you a little idea of the content of this interesting little magazine, uh, here are the titles of uh, a few of the articles in the first two issues. Christmas and the Mushroom, The Angry Fire Belly of Quetzalcoatl, Self-Portraits While Possessed, 
and Jesus was my gateway drug. <laughs> and again, I want to mention the artwork is really exceptional. And uh, did I mention the fact that this is also the creation of some of our fellow saloners? And I'll put a link to uh, their scribd, scribd.com page in the uh, program notes for today's podcast, which, as you know, you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us, which I'm also happy to announce is uh, somewhat back in operation. Now, if you think back about a year ago, you may remember that Bruce Damer and I introduced the idea of Bruce and the ghost of Terrence McKenna conducting a so-called global trialogue with you or one of our other fellow saloners. The idea was to send Bruce either an email question or record your question in uh, MP3 format and send it to him via the webpage uh, that you're going to hear him mention in just a moment. But after introducing the concept and uh, receiving several questions, Bruce's schedule uh, really got filled, uh, and he, he was on trips to Pakistan, India, China, the UK, Ireland, and several other spots in Europe, not to mention uh, doing work on both coasts of the U.S. In other words, uh, Bruce has been busier than a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm sorry, Bruce. I, I didn't mean to make light of your incredible work schedule. It's just that my mouth sometimes keeps going long after my brain tells it to stop. <laughs> but uh, getting back to the point, although Bruce's schedule uh, hasn't actually lightened up very much, nonetheless, he has been able to take the time to prepare the very first of our global trialogues which we hope in some small way will uh, help to bring our community closer together by uh, sharing our questions and uh, hopefully even our lovely voices as well. You know, we're all in this together, so uh, let's find out what some of the more pressing things are on the minds of our fellow slaughters. And the first question that Bruce will address in this new segment comes from Chris in Australia. And I'd tell you the name of the town he lives in if I could even come close to pronouncing it. <laughs> you, uh, you Aussies sure have some tongue-twisting words down there. Uh, anyway, after uh, first telling Bruce a little about himself, here's the question that Chris sent in. I listened with great interest to your lecture at the October Gallery and was particularly interested in your ideas about and definition of ego, as well as your ideas about ego death and the hope that this may offer our species if a sufficient number of us have undergone it when climactic cataclysm and or ecosystem collapse occurs. I would very much like to explore these concepts and ideas further, particularly within the context of the altered mind states that the sacred psychedelic medicines can induce. However, unlike many of the psychedelic torchbearers, I am predisposed against long periods on the computer. I know how to use them, but prefer not to for a range of reasons. So reading extended and sophisticated online blogs, for example, is not something that floats my boat. I was therefore hoping you might be able to point me in the direction of some real, bound paper books that will at least get me started. I won't anticipate a response, as I know that you're an extremely busy person, but if you can manage to send me the titles of a small number of key texts, I would be exceedingly grateful. I would find my way from there. Again, thank you so much for your generosity and for flying the flag. Blessings, Chris. And here is Bruce's reply. Chris, thank you so much for getting in touch. Lorenzo and I both very much appreciate this kind of feedback from listeners. 
As for reading on ego, I have to tell you that Eckhart Tolle really nailed it. This might have come across a bit in my October gallery talk in London a couple of years ago. I would recommend his books and also his audio, his own voice on the matter. I can also say that teachings of Guruji Yogis on the loss of mind and ego through body and breathing practices has recently become a major part of the reworking of my daily life. Psychedelics can play a role in there too, but for some, but they are in no way a full answer. It is the life changes, choices, and healthy practices built up as a result of spirit medicine visions that are the real forces for change. It's almost like psychedelic states may provide the vision of what is true, like a keystone in an arch, but without the supporting stones around it, that keystone simply falls to earth and has to be propped up again. Many people don't need these medicines at all to achieve a creative balance of inner peace and clarity of action. Some need them to open up to a vast new vista and sense their possible role in the impossible. Anyway, that's how I have been integrating them with spiritual practices. You are already well enough along that road too, Chris, it sounds. As to ego and ego death, here are some thoughts from personal experience. I have to preface this by saying that this is in no way a general purpose theory uh, for everyone. Ego, the little bugger. It does seem to die or take a leave of absence under specifically harsh circumstances. And depending on how the situation is managed and forces mustered, it can become tremendously weakened. But then it can rage back under its own steam. It's almost as though in these intense realms you become truly unglued, where all the parts of you are visible. They become seen as members of a community, almost like personalities, and they're no longer bolted down and they're running around. This is good if you want to reshuffle your deck, but the flip side of the loosening up of the person is that the monkey mind, the heart, the pain body, the ego, and many of the other parts just fly around and create unforeseen and strange consequences. So for some, it might become too easy then to reject people, jobs, things, and become alienated as a person becomes unpeeled. Without a strong center, i.e. adult supervision, by your true self, you can become quite erratic. Now, let's take a listen to what our friend Terence McKenna has to say about the ego. The real issue you see around fear on psychedelics is a surrender issue. The ego plays a trick on you because the ego begins to dissolve under the influence of the psychedelic and uh, the ego sends you the message you are dying <laughs> this is its last most desperate ploy to halt what is happening because the ego is dying and to the degree that you identify with the ego you'll be driven into a state of panic now of course the ego is you or at least manifestation of you, so should be belonged. The mind is also you, as is the pain body that Tolle describes. Sexual energies, the worry monkey mind, 
and all the other lovely parts, they're you too. They're collectively you, but there is that self that is apart from all of them and can stand back and watch aghast or bemused as these other members bounce around. I find that when practicing yoga, mind leaving, if the mind comes back in, repeating a thought or even a good idea, I simply recite think, 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 think as a kind of humorous, tender but firm put-down of the mind as much as to say, that's okay mind, it's a good idea, but I've got it. In fact, you can watch yourself, or rather the community of self, repeating cycles going from mind to ego to sexuality to body to mind and back again. I would then say, cycle, 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 just to recognize that a cycle has occurred. I would vouchsafe that most people live their lives looping in and out of greater and lesser cycles. Now, I don't want to mean to say that cycles are bad. They are natural. In some sense, you can learn to know and to love your cycles. There are destructive cycles, but there are many constructive ones, and simply help your life tick along. Put in the laundry, make dinner, pick up the clothes from the dryer, or loving ones. Open heart, pick out nice gift, take special moment to present gift, show appreciation for person while giving gift. Well, does this make any sense? I hope so, and thank you, Chris, for very much for your question. This has been the first response to a question on the Global Trialogue. Find us at Facebook at Trialogue and uh, on the web at www.damer.com slash Trialogue. This is Bruce Damer signing off and thanking you for joining us in the initiation of this uh, global conversation of people out there, people here, and people elsewhere. Goodbye. And as soon as I can get the program notes posted for this podcast, I'll include the links to the books that Bruce mentioned and possibly a few more. Also, uh, I'll include links to the October Gallery talk that Bruce did in Ireland, which is the one that uh, Chris referred to in his question. And there is, uh, however, just one thing that I, I think I need to correct, and that's the Facebook address that Bruce just gave. I think that I heard him say that it was Facebook slash Trialogue, but it's actually Facebook.com slash Global Trialogue. Well, that should do it for now, so uh, thank you for joining us in this, the first of our Global Trialogues. And Bruce and I hope that you will add your own voice to this new global conversation as well. Uh, I really think that the time has come for us all to stand up and be counted. What do you think? For now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.